Welcome back to episode two of How Founders Work with me, Phil Chen. In this show, we tell the real stories behind early stage startups, their founders, and how they work, all the while as they build their companies. For our guest today, I'm super excited to welcome Brian Chen, co-founder and CEO of Room, a startup focused on reimagining the modern workplace by helping companies make more room for better workplace environments. As for Brian, prior to Room, he started his career as an English teacher in Ecuador. Afterwards, jumping into the nonprofit world at Endeavor, an organization focused on supporting entrepreneurs from emerging markets, and later went on to co-found BlueSmart, a Y Combinator-backed smart luggage startup. But before we jump into today's chat with Brian, we at Half Founders Work always want to highlight more exciting early-stage startups, their founders, and their stories, which you can check out on Instagram at Founders Process. We love hearing directly from startups and founders who want to share their story with the world. So if you know any interesting founders or startups, feel free to reach out. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Brian Chen, co-founder and CEO at Room. Thank you, Brian, for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Well, I would love to get the ball rolling and just learn more about you and your background and how you came to found Room. Yeah. Uh, so I, um, I guess I have a, an interesting um, background. I was born in Colorado. Um, and I, uh, lived there until I was 11, at which point I moved back with my parents, uh, to Taiwan. Um, so lived, uh, in very different places and that kind of transition from, uh, being the only Asian kid in a elementary school of 500 people to moving to Taiwan where, you know, it was all Taiwanese people, uh, definitely a, um, formative moment in transition in my life. Um, and, you know, I think that experience of growing up in Taiwan, um, I guess I always grew up with this concept that entrepreneurs were the key drivers of economic development. So for Taiwan, for example, um, you know, it's a small island, 23 million people, but you have your iPhones made there, laptops, LCD screens, and mm-hmm. Uh, there was always this story of how these really kind of high impact entrepreneurs put Taiwan on the map. And that was always very inspiring. So growing up, I felt like uh, these were, these are the entrepreneurs were the heroes. Uh, And I think that that's what from a very early age drew me to the idea of wanting to start my own company. Mm -hmm. Um, Room came about, um, well, maybe, maybe I'll pause there and, you know, I, I can talk about how I got into room or how I got into startups in general. Or yeah, it'd be, it'd be great to hear um, your background and how you got into the world of startups. Uh, so that was the original interest. Um, and I think that I always prized uh, this idea of thinking independently and wanting to be uh, a critical thinker and to go my own path, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I had no idea where to start. Uh, my first job out of college was teaching in Ecuador. Uh, I taught English, uh, literature at a bilingual high school right outside Quito. Wow. Okay. Uh, and that was really more for me to just kind of, uh, have a life experience and see what it's like to live in another country that, where I didn't speak the language and to really kind of test my personal boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, coming back to this concept of wanting to be an entrepreneur, 
um, but having no idea where to start. I actually took a job after I came back to the U.S. Um, at a nonprofit called Endeavor. Mm-hmm. And Endeavor, um, as I said, it's a, it's a nonprofit that supports entrepreneurs from emerging markets. And they're on a mission to help entrepreneurs um, reach global scale and to help entrepreneurs from places like Argentina or Indonesia uh, gain access to the networks of mentors and investors and things like that, that will help them really scale uh, beyond just the local market. So uh, I joined Endeavor as a way to be more fully immersed in the world of entrepreneurship. And it was truly inspiring, right? Because you have these entrepreneurs from uh, difficult circumstances, overcoming obstacles that, you know, are much, much um, greater than what we would experience in a city like New York. Mm. And they're, you know, putting it all on the line and building these um, awesome companies. And, um, you know, I I learned a lot through that um, and was lucky enough to work with really amazing entrepreneurs. Um, I was there for about two and a half years, traveled to over a dozen countries to meet with these entrepreneurs and to help them through some of the obstacles that, uh, you know, they were facing. Um, and then I left Endeavor to, um, to, to join one of the, the entrepreneurs who I met to start a new company. Um, that company was called Blue Smart. Oh, I see. Okay. So that's okay. Making the connections there. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Well, this, this, uh, nonprofit was actually based in New York. So I lived okay. in New York that whole time. Right. Um, I was traveling around a lot, but, um, uh, we started to see a lot of entrepreneurs who were, I would say, um, global from day one, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe you have your developers and engineers in Argentina, but you're, you're serving the, the U S market and it became harder and harder to define like what the country of origin is for some of these companies. And, um, you know, I became friends with, uh, Diego, uh, size Gill, who, um, had a company in Colombia, mm-hmm. was originally from Argentina and was building a product for, uh, you know, us, the U S market basically. Um, and we, uh, he had the idea for blue smart, you know, um, it was, it's a company that makes smart luggage. So, uh, we developed simple. a suitcase that has location tracking and weight sensing and battery charging. Um, you know, he had the idea for this product and he asked me to join as a co-founder and, um, I jumped at the opportunity because, um, as I said, it was always my dream to, to follow this kind of entrepreneurial path. And I had an opportunity to, um, to, to work on uh, a new idea with someone who had done it before. Yeah, I mean, we launched it in uh, to the market in 2014, and um, it was really it was at the height of this concept that everything would become connected. Internet of Things would take over the world, uh, and connected hardware was kind of at the at the the heart and center of it. So, um, and the concept was, you know, how can you take the combination of hardware and software to really um, make travel more seamless as an experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, people love the idea, you know, people loved the concept that you could know where your suitcase is and 
be informed of whether it was overweight before arriving to the airport and things like that. And we were able to get a ton of traction um, through a couple of crowdfunding campaigns mm -hmm. on Indiegogo. Yeah, so what, what ended up happening with Blue Smart and, and how long were you working um, on Blue Smart and then ultimately making the transition to Room? Yeah. Um, so I worked at Blue Smart. I worked on Blue Smart for about three and a half years, or about about just over three years, I think. Um, and lots of highs and lows. Um, you know, we had great success with crowdfunding and gaining initial traction. Um, we sh ended up shipping over, I think, fifty thousand suitcases around the world. It was a ton of fun. Um, and uh, at the end of the, I guess I left at this point just over two years ago, uh, I left right after we closed the series a, um, and my co-founders who were from Argentina wanted for strategic reasons to move more of the operations down to Argentina. Um, and at that point, um, I, I decided to, to part my, you know, part ways and right. stay back in New York, uh, where, uh, my girlfriend at the time and now my fiance, uh, where we were living and, you know, wanted to, um, for for personal reasons stay behind um and when i left so i guess backing up blue smart um was part of the winter 15 class at y combinator that's right that's right yeah um and so it was a a really um why yc was a dream right to be part of this uh the the accelerator and this amazing network of entrepreneurs and investors and mentors it was kind of like you know going from the international uh, league at Endeavor to like, you know, the major leagues. Right. And um, I, I left Blue Smart and was thinking about what to do, what to do next. And uh, a friend suggested that I look at, uh, you know, phone booths as an opportunity. And, you know, I, I knew that I had experienced the problem of noise and lack of privacy in the open plan office. And uh, when a friend had mentioned that um, he needed phone booths for his office, uh, I decided to, to kind of take a look at what that problem meant for, for different companies and uh, to understand kind of what was driving this, the problems of, of noise and, and, and privacy in the open plan office. So um, I was working on probably three different projects at the time, mm -hmm. um, trying to figure out what my next entrepreneurial project was. And the phone booth concept had a couple of early believers. So Ryan Peterson, who is the founder and CEO of Flexport, Henrik Zilmer, who is the uh, founder and CEO of a company called AirHelp, both uh, Y Combinator companies. And uh, they, you know, we were talking, they were both big believers in the business and wanted to, to seed it and to uh, fund the idea. I was introduced to my co-founder, Morton, who, is much more on the uh, creative design side of the business. And basically, you know, we got together, Morton and I, uh, and decided that uh, the phone booth concept was a big enough problem in the open floor plan and in the modern workspace that it was uh, worth looking at. And it started off, I, I think, with just this concept of, let's try to solve this problem of noise and 
lack of privacy in the open plan office. But as we started working on early prototypes and on uh, product development, there was a discovery process that the phone booth product actually has some very unique characteristics. And uh, the problems of noise and lack of privacy are actually just symptoms of deeper, bigger underlying problems. Right? So uh, the way I think about it is, you know, a phone booth product, it, it's not like a piece of furniture. It actually mm-hmm. changes the way that an office uses its space. Uh, you can, it, it fundamentally changes the, you know, square footage utilization of mm-hmm. an office space. Uh, it also has a really fundamental impact on employee health and wellness. Um, because when your neighbor is uh, talking to his or her dentist or mom on the phone, it becomes incredibly stressful and very difficult to get focused work done. So having a, a soundproof phone booth where you can get away has this really kind of big impact on health and wellness. Yeah, and then I, I think the, the other thing that we realized was instead of having to put up a phone booth with construction and hire a general contractor and get a building permit from your landlord, uh, a phone booth could be modular, it could ship flat, it could assemble on site super, super quickly. And, you know, thinking about these different trends, just decided that uh, this is actually much bigger than just a phone booth company. This is a company that can help really make a difference in how the modern workplace is imagined and experienced. Uh, so we decided to call the company Room uh, with the mission of making room for people in the office, making mm-hmm. room better workplace environments. So, so I, I do have to ask you, taking a step back, when you're working at Blue Smart and beginning room, sure. what did your parents view as you taking this more entrepreneurial path? Because being an Asian American, I completely get it. You know, my parents wanted me to take a more traditional path, a stable career. And so all the while, as you were building these startups, did you have the full support of your parents or were they, were they saying or thinking, you know, what, what is Brian doing at this company? What were their thoughts? Yeah. Well, so as I was saying, uh, growing up in Taiwan, I grew up with this concept that entrepreneurs were the heroes of, of the world. Right. Uh, and that, that's something that I felt on a society level, but also felt, you know, within my family as well. So, you know, Personally, my grandfather grew up in an agricultural kind of town in the middle of Taiwan, but he, because there were no real opportunities, started his own uh, business that, um, you know, is still, it's a small family business, but it's still running today and has supported a few generations of, of uh, family. So mm-hmm. I, I, and my, uh, I always had that dream and my parents knew it and my parents knew how much I admired and respected my grandfather. Uh, so I think that they respected the entrepreneurial ambition. Um, and the way I've always thought about entrepreneurship is not, and I think this is something that I learned while I was in Endeavor, but you know, entrepreneurship is not just about being crazy and um, taking crazy risks, right? I think that a lot of starting a company is thinking diligently through how to mitigate risk and how to make sure that uh, you're not just spinning your wheels on an idea that doesn't have demand, right? So, you know, with BlueSmart, we did a lot of work to validate demand before doing any 
true product development or manufacturing. And that was how, that's why we use crowdfunding in Indiegogo. And by the time that I, I was fully, fully immersed in, in BlueSmart, we already had a ton of pre-orders from customers. We knew uh, we had been accepted by Y Combinator. We knew that we had a product that people wanted in our hands. And it was a matter of getting out to market and executing. And with Room, uh, you know, in the very early days, we didn't go the crowdfunding route. Um, but, you know, the, one of the ways that we started was we just put together uh, a Wix website. We put it together in a day, a single oh, wow. day. Um, and then just started running some, you know, online ads to, to the site. And uh, that was how we tested whether there was demand for the product. And, you know, we had, we had not started uh, manufacturing yet. We had not had a, a fully baked product, but we wanted to understand uh, what, the, what the market would look like. And so I guess I vote, the, the way I, t- I tell my parents about it and the way I think about starting companies is it is about taking calculated risks and, and uh, acting with conviction, but it's not just about, um, you know, jumping off a cliff or, or uh, without, you know, any additional foresight. Right. All right. And so um, jumping back to the early days at Room, you had mentioned that your friend had, had come to you with the idea. You had done additional research and had put up that Wix page in a day to test the level of demand and had a number of actually early backers. But can you just describe for our listeners what the early days of Room were like? Yeah. So we were, uh, we were borrowing some desks from Henrik's uh, office here in New York. Um, he, he had AirHelp, his company, uh, had an office in New York with a few extra desks. So Morton and I were camped out there and we were, we actually had a prototype in the office and we invited people to come look at it. We invited uh, employees at the AirHelp office to use it and give us feedback. And we saw how sticky of a product it is because um, even in an office of 10 people, we would see the phone booth used constantly. And it was not a very, it was not a particularly good product. It would get really hot in there. It would, you know, you you couldn't really stay there for longer than 30 minutes without starting to really kind of break a sweat. Uh, But we knew that the product was really... um, uh, solved a, a strong enough problem that people were, were willing to endure that kind of level of <laughs> discomfort. Um, and then, so that was one point of validation. And then, as I said, we launched this uh, Wix website and some Google ad board campaigns to, to see. And um, I remember, you know, literally within the first one or two weeks of, of having this Wix uh, website up and running, we got a phone call on a Friday afternoon from a workplace designer at Nike. And she was like, oh, you know, like I just stumbled across your website. Uh, we have this big problem with, um, with noise and we were interested in, in testing out different soundproof phone booth solutions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember taking that phone call and then uh, looking over at Morton afterwards and being like, I just got off the phone with Nike. Um, I think we're, I think we're onto something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and, just kind of people signing up for a waiting list from companies like um, IBM, Microsoft, Nike. And uh, there was just this sense that, you know, that we were onto something um, pretty novel because these big companies were, were reaching out. 
Wow. So how long ago was that when, when you started with, with your co-founder Morton and started to get these inbound requests from companies? It, it sounded like clearly the demand was there. And so what was that shift between putting up that Wix site and getting that first call from Nike into where it is today? Yeah. Um, so I, uh, because of the background at Blue Smart, I had some experience um, with the process of finding manufacturers and building a physical product and getting something out to, uh, into the into the world, right? So leveraging some of the the, the network that I had developed um, at Blue Smart and understanding how um, to find factories, we started this search for a contract manufacturer that could help us uh, not just make a prototype, but make something at a larger scale. And so we looked in a lot of different places um, in Eastern Europe, in Portugal, Spain, in Mexico, the U.S., and at the earliest stage, um, the most important thing when you're looking for a manufacturer is getting the buy-in and from the you know manufacturer ownership mm-hmm. and uh, the people at the top because it's going to require a lot of investment and it's gonna, they're going to be uh, it's a it's a bet right at at that kind of really early stage. Uh, so we found um, a great partner for us in in Portugal. They're experts in acoustics. And they were able to uh, help us get our first kind of proof of concept where it was just a prototype. They started, they were able to help us start producing at about roughly four units per day. And this was a very kind of early prototype, um, but we, um, we sold a couple hundred of them and used that opportunity to learn from our customers and to learn what it would take to deliver this product that you know, ships flat to customers. We learned, for example, that uh, if you want to deliver um, this kind of 400 pound product into an office, you have to get things like a certificate of insurance to enter a commercial building. Uh, You need to be able to book a freight elevator sometimes and make an appointment. Um, Otherwise, you end up delivering this massive product, you know, to, to the curbside and the office manager is going to be helpless in terms of getting that product into the office. Right. So right. The first 200 units, like, you know, Morton and I, we were delivering these phone booths to customers ourselves, assembling them ourselves, working through all of the, you know, sometimes the holes wouldn't line up and we had to figure it out. Um, but we went above and beyond for all of those early customers. And along the way, we learned about uh, all of the kind of, challenges that we need to overcome to actually start delivering this product at scale. So in parallel to those early units, we focused on taking that kind of beta version to something that could be more, that could be sold on a, on a larger scale. Um, and so Room, as a, as a brand and a, um, a product, officially launched in May of 2018, after we had kind of done those 200 trial units with customers. And, um, so just, just a year ago. Wow. Yeah. Just a year ago. So the early stages of, you know, those first trial units and that Wix website, uh, we, we wanted to act really, really quickly. So as part of that kind of concept of risk mitigation, you, you know, there's this concept of failing fast and making sure that if you, you want to validate assumptions as quickly as possible. Right. So mm-hmm. we moved really, really quickly through the first stages of the company um, in terms of the website and the prototyping and the, the first products that were coming off of the factory line. Um, and 
uh, we were definitely, you know, they, they say that you, you have to launch when you're still embarrassed with the product. And that was definitely the case. But we moved pretty quickly and got launched room. Yeah, officially in May of 2018. And so at that time, was it just yourself and your co-founder, Morton? And how long did it take from actually putting up that Wix website to testing those 200 beta tests, if you will, to actually launching Room? Yeah. Well, we moved on uh, parallel paths, right? So prototyping and early product development was happening in parallel with getting some renders and putting it up on the website. We probably put the website together, I want to say in November of 2017, um, and then uh, started delivering to some of those early customers. And I think we actually had our first delivery. We had a handful of deliveries in December and then started testing in, in, in larger volume and you know, through the first quarter and that, you know, the, the first quarter of 2018, we were uh, losing money on all of those first sales. We were shipping things by air. It was, it was way too expensive, but it was worth it for us to, to get the learning and to go way above and beyond for our customers so that uh, we could, you know, learn um, how to actually make this into a viable business. Um, and by the time we launched, we had, I think, a small team of, I think, five people, uh, maybe four. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was a pretty lean team, for sure. And were you guys working out of your apartment, or did you guys have like a, a WeWork or co-working space at that time? Uh, we borrowed an office from some friends, basically, who had a few extra seats. And, and so throughout that time, as you were getting room off of the ground, what was the most challenging aspect of, of starting the company? Yeah, um, you know, I think that we were, we've been fortunate uh, to be in a situation where the demand, we've been able to generate demand far faster than we've been able to actually create supply. <laughs> um, it's, such a, it's such a big problem in today's offices. And I think that, you know, we're not the first people to come up with a phone booth or to, to, to see a phone booth as an option, you know, uh, a possible solution to the problem. But mm-hmm. I think actually that we may be the first to take um, a truly kind of people, human centric uh, approach to designing the product. You know, when we started, we started by asking, okay, what is the willingness to pay? Like at what price point are people actually going to start installing and buying phone booths um, as many as they need, as opposed to as many as they can afford. And so we were the first product at our, basically at our price point. There were, there were some other products that were two, three, four times more expensive, but we didn't start off by looking at the competition, right? We really started by trying to solve the problem at a price point that we felt could be scalable. And I think what that meant because of that price point that we achieved and because of the whole business model of shipping flat to customers and selling direct through our website, making it really easy to purchase, we just you know, caught lightning in a bottle, I guess. And mm-hmm. so I think from the very earliest stages of the business, catching up to demand has actually probably been 
bit the biggest challenge. But that's that's a good problem to have, but it's yeah, yeah. still a problem. Right, right. <laughs> well, we, I mean, a lot of our time is spent on relieving those supply constraints. And uh, we now have, instead of just one manufacturer, we have multiple manufacturers uh, that are, um, you know, uh, building this product for us uh, and we have much more I mean we basically now have scalable manufacturing capacity and uh, we'll be able to meet the demand that we generate but it took well over a year for us to get to where we are in terms of having more scalable manufacturing partners and having the supply to to meet the demand that is out there but in general there should be you know there's just a severe shortage of private spaces in modern workplaces. So I think we're still scratching the surface, of course, uh, in terms of uh, the demand that we're seeing. Right. Okay. And so where's the business right now? Um, You had mentioned that in the beginning, it was just you and Morton and four, five employees in the early days. And over the course of the past year or so, where is room right now? Uh, Since launching in May of 2018, we've grown well over 20% per month. And so when you do that for, you know, 12 months or or whatnot, the numbers start to get pretty large. Uh, I mean, growing over 20% means you're basically doubling every three months. So that's what we've done uh, for the last year. Um, We are now a team of about 25 people. Earlier today, we moved into our first real office, though. <laughs> oh, wow. Congratulations. <laughs> truly call call our own, where we signed the lease. Mm-hmm. We uh, have sold to over a 1,000 unique businesses. We've sold thousands of, of, of units uh, all over the U.S. and Canada. Yeah, I mean, I think now we have just turned the corner in terms of being able to um, have enough supply to meet demand. Um, We've grown our supply base uh, many times over, and now we're at a stage where um, we can really more aggressively get our product out into the market. And we have color options now. We uh, recently um, announced an upgrade of our product that uh, addresses some of the um, uh, some of the feedback we got on the on the first product. You know, there's now a motion sensor that turns the product on and off automatically. Um, we, we kind of went through, we obsessed over all the, the final details and now we have a product that we uh, think is really, really well suited for mass adoption by the market. So yeah, right now it's about getting that product out. Um, but uh, as I started off by saying, um, you know, we called the company Room because we're on a mission to make room for people in the office. And what we really want to do is apply the same product development philosophy and mindset that we use with with our current product and apply it to the overall the office in general. The fact that, so about 70% of people have moved into an open plan office in the US. Uh, and all of them, I'm sure, will tell you how much they hate it, right? How difficult it is to get personal work done, um, how annoying it is to hear your neighbor make personal phone calls. And uh, that, you know, if you just walk around office buildings, you see people in stairwells and on the sidewalk and in, you know, building lobbies. And it's, it's very clear that there's this, there's this problem. And that's a crazy world to think that, we live in a world where the vast majority of people don't like their office when we spend over a third of our lives in an office. That's a big problem. And noise and privacy are just the surface of that. 
Mm-hmm. So we want to, you know, now that we were, we have a product that is truly, truly ready for mass production and mass market adoption, uh, we'll be looking at um, how to tackle other, uh, you know, big problems in the office. Right, right. That's amazing how the, how the company has been able to scale, not only in the production and meeting the demand, but also in being scaling from four or five employees to about 25 or so. And so what, what has that process been like for you as a founder in being able to hire people, people and create a culture where people want to come into the office and are excited to work on the things that they're doing on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I think honestly, it's the most uh, rewarding part about being an entrepreneur, right? Is for me at least this the being able to watch an organization grow and and form its a culture of its own. And it's particularly fun for us at Room because you know we tell anybody who will listen, from investors or employees to customers, that the way we see ourselves is not as selling phone booths, but we sell better workplace environments. So for us to start building a brand that means better workplace environment, that's more productive, that's healthier, that's more productive or more creative um, as well, uh, we need to live that brand right? because brand and culture are just two uh, sides of the same coin. So I think it was our sixth hire uh, we decided to to bring on a head of people and culture, and we decided very early on, given the the demand that we have, um, you know, we we knew that we needed to hire and build up our team very quickly, but we knew that we needed to be on the forefront when it comes to thinking about the intersection of a company culture and the physical space in which a company finds itself. We've been, uh, Peter, uh, who we brought on as our head of people and culture has done just a tremendous job of setting up a recruiting process and uh, helping us build a culture of really passionate people um, who are very mission driven. Right, that's amazing. Yeah, I think I think culture, especially in the world of startups today, it's, it's one of the key drivers, if not the team and the product, but the reason that people actually want to stay and stay for the long term at these companies is a fantastic company culture. So that's amazing that you and and Morton were able to think about that ahead of time as you knew the company was going to scale. Well, it's it's what we sell also, right? Because what you don't want to sell is a, you know just a, a a product that reduces noise by twenty nine decibels and has you know X amount of air ventilation. That's that's not that interesting. What you really want to sell is uh, a better work environment that will help companies recruit and retain top talent. And so we've always had a view to that, right? That, uh, and, and the, the companies that are using our product are telling us this, that when they have drop our product into their open floor plans, people are happier and people stay and people, it's easier to, it makes all of those things about building a culture and a, a team easier. Mm-hmm. So that I think is is what is so fascinating, right, about this phone booth. It's not like there are very few objects I feel in, in your office that can have that big of an impact on on culture. Mm-hmm. So as many founders understand the journey that they're going to go on as they start their new enterprise, being a founder yourself, how has the reality of starting your own company compared to your expectations? Yeah. I've thought a lot about this and 
throughout my journey uh, of working with emerging market entrepreneurs, working on starting BlueSmart and starting Room Now, one of the things I've kept on coming back to is the idea that in the earliest stages of a business, the most important things are having heart and having guts. There's this this book I like to reference, and it's called Heart, Smarts, Guts, and Luck. Mm-hmm. And it talks about how you need different levels of heart, smarts, guts, and luck to, at different uh, points in building a business. But in the earliest stages, it's really not about how smart you are or how great of an idea you have or or your technical skills and capabilities. It's just purely a game of heart, like whether you have the passion to, to persevere and whether you have the guts to make calls that, you know, that you probably shouldn't be making, right? Like, um, and I think before starting my own uh, company, I, you know, from the outside, I always thought that, you know, you need to be this um, genius inventor or technical innovator to be able to get a product and a, uh, an idea off the ground. But the, the earliest stages, it's, it really, to me, is about uh, the passion and having the chutzpah to, to, to execute on something that other people might think is a silly idea. I do think the other thing is starting a company is all-consuming. And I, I feel that having been on a couple of you know roller coaster rides, it's, it's obviously hard if the company's not doing well. Mm. But uh, with Room, where, where we've experienced amazing growth and have great traction with awesome customers, uh, it also feels a little bit like you're getting punched uh, in the face every day on the way up as well. Um, you know, there's no end to, to the issues, but you have to find a way to, to be able to take that step back and enjoy, um, enjoy it as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a first I've heard getting punched in the face every single day. <laughs> I, I don't think, I think I heard someone else say that. <laughs> uh, and it's really, it's not so bad, but um, startups are, are hard. And um, putting all the pieces together, it's not easy or straightforward. And people are involved and people are, are complicated. They have emotions, they have their own interests. And uh, finding a way for the entire organization to kind of be aligned and happy and swimming in the same direction, you know, it, it, it doesn't just happen. Right, right. And so on that note, what are some of the highs that you remember, some of the highest highs and the lowest lows of Founding Room? Yeah, uh, I was, so I, I, I make a point to, um, to be part of the interviews of every single person that we hire, right? Because, because people are at the center of our strategy and people are the end all be all of, of how we'll do. Recently, I interviewed someone, uh, and I was, I think, the last person in the day to interview them. And I just asked them to, to recap some of their conversations. And, you know, this particular candidate mentioned to me um, the conversations he had with other people about the company culture. <laughs> and he started talking about, um, you know, how it seems like people have a lot of freedom, uh, but there's this, this, uh, a lot of trust and accountability uh, and that people are very passionate and um, there's a culture of of high performance. And in the way that he was talking about things, I heard echoes of phrases that we've used internally, uh, a lot of them. And that to me is like one of the highest highs to, to, to start being able to see and recognize 
that this culture that started off as just, you know, something between two people is now something that is kind of self replicating. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, 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 the passion that I feel for what we're doing and uh, for, for the mission that we've set out for ourselves um, is visible in not just from me and my co-founder, but from, from people who've joined the company very recently. Uh, I think that that's one of the, for sure, one of the highest highs. Excellent. Excellent. And on the flip side, what about one of the lowest lows that you recall? Um, it's, it's hard. Uh, there were, you know, I've, I've had to, to let people go um, when company, when not room, but um, I've had to, I had to stand in front of people at, at Blue Smart at certain points and say, um, you know, um, we need to, we overhired and we need to, to right size uh, the, the business and so that we can execute on the plan ahead. That's really hard. Um, and, you know, that when you, when, when you have to do that, there's a moment where I think you realize that um, you're, you're working on a, on a, on a business and a company and, and maybe at that particular stage, you wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable recruiting a friend to join. You know, that, that's kind of a litmus test I have, right? Like, and if you know that you can't, that you wouldn't be comfortable recruiting a, a highly capable friend to join, that doesn't feel great, especially when you're a founder. But that that can be a reflection of a, a stage of business because every company goes through different stages, and um, you know, so that's not always going to be the case that that you you would feel comfortable because uh, because of the cyclicality of what it means to to build a business. But that's that's a pretty tough thing to to kind of you know look at yourself in the mirror and be, and say I'm the founder of this company. But at this moment, things just aren't going that well. Mm. That's, that's, mm. that's pretty low. Right. right. <laughs> and, and so while I have you in this reflective mood, when you're at that low, is there someone either in your professional life or your personal life who has pushed you and challenged you as a founder? Absolutely. And I think it's, it's incredibly important as a founder that you – not only identify, but nurture these different kind of support networks, right? So for myself, I'm very close with my family. Uh, I have two older sisters who, mm-hmm. who, who I'm very close with and, and obviously my parents. Uh, my fiance has been with me for the last seven years and she has watched me go through uh, a lot and has always been you know, at my side and has always been very supportive. And then networks like Y Combinator and being able to go through these peer programs where you can um, access people who are going through similar trials and being able to, to catch up with them and have these honest conversations about how things are going is super important. So when during those lowest, lowest flows, um, I've, I'm very lucky to have always been able to call up any number of these people and say, hey, I need somebody to talk, somebody to talk to. And specifically, I, I would say the, the peer network of other founders, especially founders who've gone through uh, cycles before, um, they, they can kind of really empathize and really know uh, how hard things can be. And, but being able to access those uh, support networks is incredibly important when starting a company. 
Mm -hmm. And so knowing what you know now, being able to leverage those networks of other first-time entrepreneurs and founders, what is something that you wish you knew before starting Room? Well, it's, it's not necessarily related to the, that community of founders, but um, I wish I had known how quickly this idea would take off. Um, <laughs> That's a good problem to have. Yeah. Because, because, I mean, it, it's, it's not only related to things like supply, but we, uh, we just moved into a new office. And um, uh, if, if I had known how, how quickly things would have taken off, I wish we, we should have gotten an office a, lot longer, uh, you know, a while ago and uh, probably a bigger office. Because now that we're growing uh, at the rate that we're growing, like we're going to need to start looking for a new office soon, you know, before too long. So, um, but that's always with the benefit of hindsight, right? At the moment, mm-hmm. you know, signing your first lease for an office for, for a company is always a leap of faith. But then by the time you move in, it's like, oh, maybe we should have sent something bigger. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just kind of looking back on your experience, what, what resources do you use to help you grow as a founder? Um, so, the the two earliest believers in what we were doing, Ryan Peterson and Henrik Zilmer, uh, have you know been incredibly helpful. Um, and uh, Henrik is on our board and often gives us feedback and advice on what we're doing, um, and will push us. Uh, I think that they've been um, great resources for that. Uh, we've been lucky to bring on um, a group of great angel investors. Uh, who also have real operating experience and know what it's like to be part of um, fast-scaling companies. So it, it's all about the network of people that you build around yourself. Right? Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, those are the people who, who do push you. Right? I, think, I think, what do they say? They say that um, everybody's like the average of the five people they spend the most time with or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, that's something that I definitely believe in and I consciously think about who I'm spending time with and um, how to kind of craft the network of people who will influence me the most. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And, and so, you know, being in the mix and being in the, the, the trenches of working on room, what's some advice that you'd give to young or aspiring founders? Uh, I, I've talked a lot about, communities and networks and um, the people you spend time with. And honestly, I think that that is the most important piece of advice I could offer. When you're thinking about your, the career that you're building, the important things aren't uh, the, the salary that you're going to be getting in one position over another or the title that you're getting, but whether you are surrounding yourself with people that are going to push you in the direction that you want to get pushed. So if you're, if you want to be a founder and you find yourself working in a job where other people don't share that ambition, it's, it's, it's probably a good idea to to start surrounding yourself with other people who want to start companies. Right. And that is something that I have done very deliberately and I think it has led me down a a winding path but a path that I'm you know happy to have have walked Um, and there were definitely times in my career where I was not with people who shared similar ambitions or goals and you know you have to deliberately extricate yourself out of that situation unless that's what you want to do right Mm -hmm. Um, I do yeah I do think that um, that if you want to be an entrepreneur 
and you don't know what to do, go find yourself a fast growing startup with people who uh, have done it and learn from them. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, we are hiring by the way. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's That's good to hear. Good to hear. Um, and last point, what, what can people look forward to from yourself and the room team moving forward in the near term? People should look forward to a lot more fun boots in the world, right? Awesome. <laughs> uh, Cause you know, everybody needs that, that peace and quiet in the office and ability to get away in the, the longer term, this mission of helping company help, help helping to make it really really easy for companies to design build and deploy great workplace environments that's something that i am very passionate about and that uh that we will continue to to work on so um it shouldn't it just should not be the case that uh, if, if you're a startup and you move into a new office that you have to wait 12 weeks for furniture to arrive when you, from when you order it or that you just end up building uh, an environment that people hate and that people are stressed in. Um, it, sh it should be easy to, to design a space where people look forward to going to work, where they feel healthy, where they feel productive and, and uh, capable of doing their best work. And I think that... Uh, that's something that is, is doable and it just uh, is a matter of um, applying this lens of product management that's taken for granted in places like Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. Well, awesome. Brian, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to connect with me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I've learned so, so much. So thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thanks for having me. I want to give a big thank you to Brian for sharing his story. I also want to give a big shout out to Elise and Tina from the Team at Room for making this all possible. If you'd like to see more from Brian or the Team at Room, you can find them on Twitter at underscore bchen and at roomnyc or on Instagram at roomnyc. Likewise, be sure to check out other exciting early stage startups and founders we have in store on Instagram at Founders Process.